exciting. Polar bear? <laughs> yeah, all right. That's right. <laughs> We're going to see who's the real disciples. That's funny. Love sticks its neck out. Today I want to talk about love sticks its neck out. Everybody likes, even us guys, we hide it well, but everybody likes a good romance. Some romances are simple. Some are really complicated. Some are, what would you call it, maybe um, scandalous, downright scandalous. In 1936, as some of you would remember, uh, King Edward VIII shocked the world when he gave up his, the throne of England to marry Ms. Wallace Simpson. Remember that? Because she had been divorced, I think even twice, the American woman was not accepted by the British government. So this once very popular king gave up his throne to marry the love of his life, and I think he passed away in 1972. Interesting, eh? He gave up a lot in order to pursue love. He stuck his neck out. While King Edward was not nearly the first king to abdicate a throne because of love, in fact, more than 2,000 years ago, my friends, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords humbled himself by taking on the flesh of a human, a baby, so as to provide salvation or to rescue us, his loved ones. And this, my friends, is the Christmas story. So today I want to talk and look a little bit at a narrative and see how the characters in our narrative all have to stick their neck out. And I'm wondering what that means for us today. This Christmas season, is there a chance that it's not just about the lovely feelings we have with family gatherings and all the lights as we drive around town? Does love actually also require us to stick our neck out? So if you have your Bibles, or if you're going to follow along with me behind me here, Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, part of the account of the birth of Jesus Christ from the pen of Matthew, who was, we have to remember, was writing to the Jewish people. So a lot of jots and tittles, a lot of detail was very important to him because it was really important to the people that he was ministering to. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 18 and going on from there. Love sticks its, sticks its neck out. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about, verse 18. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit of God. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What a powerful portion of Scripture. And today I want to invite you to consider the choice of love and that love is the better way. 
We're created in the image of God, and right from the beginning, we see that God is uber-love, if that makes any sense. He's uber-love that he actually has to share himself with creation. He shares himself with creation. Now, thinking back, or thinking about how love sticks its neck out, let's go back to this portion of Scripture, and let's think a little bit about the scandal that we're invited to check out as we look back in the, the genealogy and also the circumstances around this narrative. So we've got to remember, first of all, that marriage in the light of Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages were arranged for individuals by their parents and contracts were negotiated. Would you still like to do that? Meh, right? We might have more success. I don't know. Now we go all this lovey-dovey stuff and we're having a lot of troubles. But here, marriages were arranged for individuals by parents and contracts were negotiated. So they'd figure out, well, how many cows and how many chickens and all that stuff. Perfect. You can have my daughter and yada, yada, yada. But at, at that point then, the woman would go continue to live with their parents and the guy would go back home. And in the next year, they were engaged. And um, it's a different engagement than today. They were betrothed. So they weren't just engaged. They were actually married, husband and wife, but they weren't having sex. They weren't consummating the marriage yet. And it's kind of interesting because in this time, there was this proof that the uh, young woman was keeping herself for marriage. She's keeping herself pure and staying with the parents. And the guy is going out over here, and he's also building a home or would-be home for the woman that he's asked to become his wife. At some point, a year is over, and he goes with all his buddies, and it's a huge fanfare, and they go through the streets, and everybody knows what's going on. And he goes and gets his bride and brings his bride back to his home, and that's when they finally get to consummate the marriage a year after. Hey, yeah, yeah, the self control in that year, eh? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't hear about that much anymore. But that's kind of what we're looking at here. So there was a huge commitment and investment from the husband, from the wife. There is a whole contract of really trust that will give you so and so much, and she is keeping herself for marriage, and these two will come together and they will join and come together as a family unit together. There would be, they would begin to live together after this year's husband and wife, and then therefore consummate their marriage physically. And Matthew's story needs to be read with that in mind. But here's the scandal. Within that year, and you've got to remember this, Joseph's not with Mary. They're separated. I don't know how far apart they live. But within that year, they find out that Mary's with child. I sometimes haven't really thought about that. You kind of think that they're hanging out together all the time, or that they're maybe even living in the same place, but they're not having sex yet. Well, they're not together. So there's no chance that Joseph could be the father of this kiddo. And now, when it's pretty hard to, sh to keep hidden that she's pregnant... There's a whole scandal here, and I want you to really understand here the dreams and everything else that are really coming crashing down for this young woman who, Scripture talks, is righteous and devout and loves the Lord Jesus Christ, or loves the Lord, and here we also have Joseph who wants, he's also devout and wants to do what is right, and here he's looking, going like, I thought that I had been given to this woman who was keeping herself for me. And perhaps swirling around his head is going, 
Why in the world have I tried to follow God? Have I tried to do everything right? And look at the scandal. Look at this garbage that's surrounding me here. What am I supposed to do? I have no idea, and the scripture really doesn't expound terribly much upon it. But he's just a guy, and she's just a young woman. So there is a lot of thought going on here. She, too, is wondering, like, oh, my goodness. I haven't had my period, and now what is going on inside me? My body's changing. You can imagine that she's not going, this is just lovely. I can hardly wait to tell Joseph, you know? I don't think so. I don't think so. And get this. Don't worry, Joseph. This is from the Holy Spirit. Right. I don't know if any of you have tried that, but that just doesn't work, you know? I think I've told you before, but I, I, when I was a little kiddo, I was kind of like that because my, my brother uh, started dating and then married a woman that had a child. And then kids in school, they were bugging me and stuff. <laughs> you know, like, your, uh, your sister-in-law slept with somebody. I said, no, because I had read this story. And I know that sometimes you women all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm pregnant. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen anymore? Can you imagine? Like, what is going on? <laughs> but anyway, this is an incredible story. So you see that everybody's sticking their neck out on this one. Everybody is. And Joseph is a really neat guy because there's something about him. He's the kind of guy that I would love to hang out with because through all this scandal, through all this, are you kidding me? Even though he was keeping himself separate, he's trying to walk faithfully with God. He's trying to do everything right. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing down. And let me tell you, there's a ton of you and perhaps even me that sometimes we've been trying to do things right and everything gets screwed up. We've been trying to follow God, and I can't pay the bills. I've been trying to give God my marriage, but my wife doesn't stay with me anymore. So sometimes we're guilty of looking at our faith as a transaction. I do this for God. He does this for me. And your faith will fall apart when all of a sudden something falls out of line. Love sticks its neck out. Love sticks its neck out. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Like even going back there, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Remember, we looked at Psalm 122 just a couple weeks ago, and we noticed that, that sometimes in order for us to actually have joy to, and actually to find peace in relationships, you will actually go through circumstances that seem to be less and less and less peace until you finally have peace at the other end. And what I mean by that, and Tennyson commented on it because he was here that Sunday, and he said that it's interesting that so oftentimes in justice situations, we get involved and it seems like there's less and less peace in our lives, but we're called to get involved in justice situations in order to reveal the peace that God has for us. Peace is just not you sitting there going, okay, all circumstances are good, I've paid all the bills, 
my marriage is going all right, my kids like me, and we got presents under the tree. This is peace. That's not where we're talking about. Because then it's circumstantial. And throughout Scripture here, we're looking at love, we're looking at peace, we're looking at joy. All of these are characteristics that happen from the inside out. Because think about it, folks. If we're thinking that it needs to be from the outside in, you're all set up for failure. You're all set up for disappointment. Scripture is constantly here. Our walk with Christ is constantly an inside out. Love is not just a feeling. It's not just a transaction. Not just reciprocal. Love is action. Love is responsive. And love is initiating. Love is initiating. Love often sticks its neck out with the chance of getting nothing in return. Think about being a parent. You stick your neck out to love your little kid. Boy, they can be rude and sassy. Think about the crazy commitment of marriage. I mean, I knew Jody for a year and 10 days, and then we say, I do, and then now we live together and make life work. It's just, it's crazy when you think about the, not the contract, but the covenant of marriage. It's hard work, right? Amen. Really? Seriously, I'm the only one that finds it kind of hard once in a while. And I married an angel. So let's see how love affected the characters in this narrative. First of all, let's look at Joseph. Joseph puts his dreams and his rights on hold or on the line. So we're talking about he has the right of divorce. And maybe even afterwards, since his wife already or his wife-to-be betrothed is now with child, Perhaps now he can have sex with her because who would know anyway? Because now the reputation of the whole thing is gone. Right? Like he could get away with it. So he's putting everything. In fact, I'm wondering if he's even putting his reputation online with the good old boys. I don't know if he had a bunch of guys and, and they're all going, wow, Mary is such a babe. I can't believe you scored such a beautiful wife. And all of a sudden, ooh. And he's just like, oh. Like, what did that feel like for him? And love is sticking his neck out. Love is not just simply going to what his buddies think or what other people are going to think. Even people of the law, what are they going to think? Well, what are they going to think? They're going to say, you can divorce her and you don't have to divorce her quietly. You can make a big, loud stink. And guess what? Mary's in big, fat trouble after this because she would find it hard to live but because she would be cast out knowing that she's no longer known as a uh, woman of character but more a woman of reputation. So this is a big deal, and we're seeing Joseph's love in action here. He tried to do what is right. He tried to honor his, his family, and he, had, he was a young man with dreams. But the angel bids Joseph to take Mary as his wife, to take Mary to his home and live together as husband and wife. So not only does he run away, he actually is in this house over here, and she's over here, she's found with child, and now he actually moves in with her and takes care of her, and now, not all eyes are on her. Guess what? All eyes are on them. Have you ever tried this? I, one time, when I was at university in Royal Roads, I was in downtown Victoria, and I, I just love Victoria. I think it's pretty cool. I was walking down the streets, and then I, I, I like the downtown part of it. There's lots of interesting shops and very interesting people. So I saw this young girl sitting down, 
as I was walking by, and I turned around, and then I sat down with her, and I looked up, and she was sitting right outside a strip club. So I sat down with her, and I just, on the sidewalk, and I started shooting the bull. Guess how people looked at me, right? And it makes sense. I'm sitting outside a strip club, you know? But I just thought association is a big deal. So now we don't just have people staring at Mary. I love how he's come together now, and he's sharing the awkward glances and the weird stares. Love sticks his neck out. Love sticks his neck out. Mary has not conceived through an act of adultery, somebody said. The angel reassures Joseph, but through an act of the Holy Spirit of God. Matthew has already informed the reader of the reason for Mary's pregnancy in verse 18, but only now does Joseph become aware of this. Gardner says this, a commentator says this, when the text indicates that the child conceived by Mary is from the Holy Spirit, the idea is not that the Holy Spirit carried out the husband's role in fathering Jesus. Rather, the Holy Spirit acts as the life-giving power, which is the source of all life, and thus capable of creating life apart from the usual means of conception. But what's neat in Matthew, and it's very important to Matthew because he's writing to the Jewish people, it's also important that Joseph carries out this responsibility of fathering. Naming the child will signify that Joseph accepts the child as his own, and this in turn will secure Jesus' claim to Davidic ancestry. This is huge. So not only is he now taking stairs on behalf of Mary, now he is coming and he's naming the child because he has this trust that, okay, I do believe Mary and I want to do what's right. And now the angel has spoken to me that this is from God. And now I will name this child and this child is his. So this whole scandalous affair he is sticking his neck out. Guys, would you have that kind of guts? This would be rough. The scandal that's involved here. But yet, when the Lord orchestrates all of this, it's so neat because it's bringing in line and securing that Jesus is from the Davidic ancestry. And this is really important. If you're newish to this whole Bible um, theology stuff, this is a big deal because years and years and years ago, it was proclaimed that Jesus or the Messiah would be born from this line of people. So it shows once again that our Bible is so robust. And even though sometimes there's stuff in there that you're going like, I don't get it. But you know what? There is such beauty within the canon of Scripture that you look at it and going, I can't believe how God has taken his knitting needle and right from Genesis, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Malachi, Matthew to Revelation, whoa, it all makes sense when you take time to look at the background and read it together as one. God had this plan in place for so long. Joseph set aside his right to divorce He set aside his reputation with the boys. And like I said, he denied his expression of sexuality. Apparently, he really believed what God said. And he was motivated by that. Joseph stuck his neck out. 
How about Mary? Mary put her reputation on the line. Like I, can, like I said before, here Mary is really a woman of character, but now it kind of looks like she's a woman of reputation. So what I, what I mean by that is she is a woman of character, but now everybody knows the scandal that she's pregnant, so everybody's thinking that she's been fooling around or sleeping around. And I love it because I think she loved, if you look up Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, you actually might get a picture of Mary here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him first, some versions say, and he will make your path straight. You guys, this was not easy for Mary. Please, please put yourself in the scandal of the day. This was not easy for her. Matthew 1 describes the scene well. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, her cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married uh, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Pastor Brent, just a couple of Sundays ago, brought out a lovely truth here that we don't just look at Mary and all of a sudden now she's Holy Mary and we pray to her and think she's incredible here. You know what? Her humility and her stature and the way that she actually approached this whole thing, that was a grace given by God. Now, obviously, she was a virtuous woman and she wanted to do God's will, but you can't keep thinking that God was going through resumes and came across Mary. Oh my goodness, this is a good one. This is the one. This fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, God doesn't choose you because you have fruit of the Spirit. God chooses you because He loves you. And then He works out the fruit of the Spirit. And it's really important for us to know that. I know that even from my own life. Before I got baptized, you guys, I, wanted, I had this whole checklist. I, I want to stop doing this. I want to stop struggling with this. I want to be a little bit better influenced to my friends in here, and then I'll get baptized. Well, my friends, I would never be baptized. I'd be dead, you know? And somebody finally said that to me, just saying, you know what? By the sounds of it, your list will never get fulfilled because there's always something. I'm like a monkey grabbing a brass ring. I'm not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Is that what baptism is about? People believed who Jesus was. 
that he died on the cross for their sins, and they were baptized. Because baptism is an outward symbol of what is happening in here. Jesus, I believe, wow, I can't do this on my own. All right, baptism. Yeah, I know I'm getting off track here. I'm doing a little commercial break. (laughs) That's okay. So it's really exciting um, what's been happening here. And this is what's happened with Mary. She believes and she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Martin Luther said this, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So the great lie of the devil, Lucifer, the serpent, whatever, the great lie of his is that we cannot trust the love, the free love and the free grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll take that as a, I'll say it again. Martin Luther said, the sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie of serpent, the devil, that we can't trust the love and grace of Christ. Thirdly, God pursues us. So we've kind of seen that Joseph sticks his neck out. We kind of see that Mary has stuck his neck out. And you, my friends, this is really, really important. You need to know this. Maybe this is for you today, is that God sticks his neck out. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still trucking down this road of absolute selfishness, maybe shaking your fist or holding up your middle finger to God, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. He loved you way before you even gave him a glitter or a a, a second thought. He loves you that much, and he demonstrates it by action, by sticking out his neck. Listen to this, Ezekiel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice, he says in Ezekiel, so many thousands of years before this. Again, he says in Lamentations, for the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant and his abundantly faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. Or John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him does not have to perish but has everlasting life. Folks, if you don't believe it yet, God created us. God created you. And then ever since then, it seems as though throughout history, he's been working and sticking his neck out to reconnect with us. And you, if you don't believe me, go right back to Genesis. All throughout, you're going to see constant acts of God to reconnect with his people, to bring us back, to go for the strays, to heal up the persons with broken hearts, He is after us. He's pursuing us. He sent his one and only son to make us right with him, to pay the price for our sin. This is God sending his only son. And then if that's not good enough, he continually has the Holy Spirit of God also pursuing us. The Daniel Amos band calls the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. 
He is sniffing us out. He's looking in every crack, every doorway. He's even going to places where we wish he would never see us. But the Holy Spirit of God is pursuing us. And part of the Holy Spirit of God, one of his job descriptions is he is after you and he's trying to woo you in to a relationship with God. If you are straying, he's trying to help with conviction of sin. That all of a sudden you go, oh gosh, what am I doing? And he goes, he doesn't just sit there and beat you. He actually says, yeah, yeah, no, no, come on back. Now come on back. Part of it, he also reminds us, so all of a sudden you're sitting there having coffee with a cousin, and the cousin who's been far away from God brings up God, and you're going, oh, what do I say? Well, the Holy Spirit of God is there to help you and remind you of the things that you've been studying and experiencing with God, and all of a sudden stuff is coming out of your mouth that you're going, where did that come from? And that's the Holy Spirit of God. There are times where I'm sure you actually act generously or do something for somebody else that is totally not you, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. And this, my friends, I hope you see that God so demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And now he sends his Holy Spirit. Daily, moment by moment, the Spirit of God is here, is in you if you have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship, Jesus, 10 bucks, if I was a betting man, is he still pursuing you? I love it when I had this conversation with somebody that was close to their 80 years old. And they just were trying to connect with God, and then I brought up Jesus, and then all of a sudden a light bulb went on. And I just said, you know what? Is there a chance that God has been after you for a long time? And as the light bulb went on, he thought back to his 20s when he was studying science, and he looked at the, uh, I always forget what you call it, that chart of chemistry. What do you call that? Periodic table. Periodic table. That is definitely the course that I dropped. <laughs> and he actually, a light bulb went on, and he looked back, and he saw right there, 60 years earlier, that there's no chance that this stuff just happened. He knew there was intelligent design. And all of a sudden, he sits back and he starts to look at these breadcrumbs that God has been pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him. I think God's been doing that for each and every one of us. You just got to stop for a second. Pour yourself a cup of tea. And start looking back. Start paying attention. Because God pursues. He's still in the business of pursuing. Max Lucado shares the, uh, uh, one of the neat stories about the musician Billy Joel. Billy Joel once gave, his, uh, uh, gave a gift to his daughter. On her 12th birthday, she was in New York City, and Billy Joel was in Los Angeles. So he phoned her that morning, apologizing for his absence, because they're obviously far away, but told her to expect the delivery of a large package before the end of the day. And the daughter answered the doorbell that evening to find a seven-foot-tall, brightly-wrapped box. This incredible gift. Like, Dad is so awesome, right? So she tore it open and outstepped her dad. <laughs> Fresh off the plane from the West Coast. Isn't that cool? Billy Joel. That is very much what God has done for us. My friends, we're often looking for little shiny trinkets 
We're looking for success. We're looking for human relationships. We're looking for a little more money. We're looking for health. These are all good things. Meanwhile, he's going, open the package. Because he wants to give you much more than the stuff. He wants to give you himself. He wants to give you himself. So we see God sticks his neck out, Joseph, Mary, and let's not forget, obviously, the reason for the season, that Jesus also came, and Jesus gave up his throne, which was really well illustrated um, by the first thing that we talked about when it came to, when it came to King Edward VIII. Jesus gave up his throne. The name Jesus means Savior. It comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. And there were many Jewish boys with the name Joshua, but Mary's boy was called Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means anointed. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah. So he is Jesus the Messiah. In another place in Isaiah 7 verse 14, he is called Emmanuel, God with us, which is always a term that blows my mind because it's not God was or will be or is God with us, period. So that's it. He covers the whole gamut. God with us. Nothing can ever separate you from God's love for you in Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When it comes to even Jesus sticking out his neck, do you remember when you go back to Luke chapter 4 where actually it talks about the Holy Spirit leading Jesus out into the wilderness and who meets him in the wilderness? Satan meets him out in the wilderness. And there, in three different ways, the devil is offering Jesus a shortcut. Bow down to me and I'll give you all these people. Or just fall off the highest point of the temple and have your angels, and he's using scripture, the devil's using scripture. And Jesus fires right back at him, you have heard it said too that you should not tempt. You know, or he says, why don't you just turn this stone into bread? Take care of yourself. You haven't eaten for 40 days for crying out loud. He says, hey, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You guys, in every way, Jesus had been tempted too but had not given in. Why? Probably because he had your picture on his fridge. Because he sticks his neck out. He sticks his neck out for each and every one of us. So Jesus also was impacted by this and even though there's all sorts of shortcuts offered to him, he gave up his throne. He gave up his life to pursue you. Now I ask you the question, how has the love of Christ impacted you? John chapter 13 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. At Christmas time, if we're going to be a part of the Christmas story, we're called to stick out our necks like we have seen everybody do in our narrative this morning. Love makes hard choices. Love is often a choice. 
It's hard to know how to love Jesus with our whole heart while seeking to love this world but not becoming a part of it, if that makes any sense. Loving others and loving God requires something from us. It requires a response. It requires action. It requires that we stick our neck out, or that at least we're ready to stick our neck out. One author said this, It requires us to invest in others. It requires us to give of ourselves. And most of all, love requires us to be willing to be changed. Love sticks his neck out. My friends, what is God calling us to do this Christmas season? How is he calling you to stick your neck out? In your marriage? With your kiddos? With your outlook? With your thoughts toward yourself? With baptism? I don't know. But what is he calling you to? And how does he want you to stick your neck out this Christmas season? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning and for the scandal story that we just went over. It's wild. And I thank you that you used ordinary people to do an extraordinary thing. I thank you that you used an ordinary people to show us extraordinary love. I thank you, Lord, that you took no shortcuts, that you stuck your neck out for us, that while we, while Steve was yet a sinner, you died on the cross for me, Lord. And you know more than anybody here that in this day and age, with all the temptations and the bad news that we face, Lord, I think sometimes all of us, or at least most of us, have it, have, find it hard to sometimes grab onto the claims of Christ and let it penetrate our daily walk. But that's what it's saying. Mary and Joseph were just people. And yet, because of what God had spoken to them, they chose to grab onto the promises of God. They chose to really believe that God loved them and had a plan for their life. They held on to it like a pit bull. And then, Lord, they saw what happened unfold. Lord, we need more of that. I need that for myself. I need that for my friends here. And I just ask, Lord, that our world, that White Rock and Langley and Tawasson and Delta and wherever we're from today, Lord, that our cities would be impacted just simply because we make our decision today to hold on tighter to the claims of Christ, knowing that you continually pursue us. And that, Lord Jesus, today we are making up our minds to be changed by your love, and we're also making up our minds to stick at our neck and be ready to be used to love others. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.